Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to another edition of the Red Sea Podcast. This is episode 227. And joining me for this episode, as usual, is my friend and co-host Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's going on, my friend? Not much. Uh, I feel like I could not have a better timed vacation. um, And I can just uh, not have to podcast about the Red Sox for two weeks and let them figure themselves out, come back, and then everything will be, be happy and better. Well, you picked like a really bad uh, vacation spot to try and get away from the Red Sox as you are <laughs> going to Boston and going to be uh, sitting on the monster for uh, a game uh, coming up here against the Rays. So you might have just, uh, you know, played yourself right there. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's probably, um, I feel like the uh, Chris Sale's return, which we will get into, was... Uh, for a long time pegged to be the exact game I was going to. That is not the case, and I really I should have taken that as an omen. Yeah, that's that's very disappointing. I was very disappointed for you when I figured out that that was going to be the case. So, um, But at least you'll get to relax in the great state of Maine afterwards. True. Happy to yeah. be home. Yeah. Now it's looking at – so I miss Sale, and my, uh, my penance is Nick Pavetta versus Josh Fleming. Oh, that's not bad. That, that could have been much worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, could have been much worse. All right, so let's talk about what we are going to talk about on this podcast today. Um, obviously, uh, the, the sky is falling for the Red Sox. We are going to assess how we got here and uh, what this team can do moving forward to get out of this slump. Uh, so we're going to give you the specifics really from the time that the slump started. We're going to go back a little bit further, even the last 30 days to look at some numbers. Uh, it's not pretty, folks, but we are going to break it down for you today. Uh, and then we'll get to your listener questions. Uh, we did get rid of about half of the listener questions that were uh, just existential statements of dread. Um, for all of those of you who who did send those in, uh, thank you for venting with us. Uh, but um, yeah, we're, we, we hope 
yeah, we, we do sympathize with you, uh, but we hope that this uh, rational explanation of how the Red Sox got themselves into this situation will will help you pull yourself out of your dread uh, as, as we are trying to do the same. So let's get right into it, Keaton. Um, <clears throat> we last talked on August 2nd, and things weren't going so well for the Red Sox then. Uh, they were in the midst of a little slump here, um, but we weren't overreacting to it. Um, however, if we look back to when this this cold streak really started on July 28th, the Red Sox uh, have gone 3-10 and since that time, now sit four games back of the Rays for first place, and now third and fourth place, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, are actually closer to us than we are the Rays. Um, those teams are just two and a half games back for the Yankees. Uh, Blue Jays are just three games back of us. Um, and all three of those other divisional teams have gone eight and two, while the Red Sox have gone two and eight over their last 10 games. Um, this is how a lead evaporates very quickly. Uh, it's not what we want. No. And you and I talked Last just one week ago, <laughs> I tweeted this out earlier as kind of like a tease to this podcast. But one week ago, you and I were like, "We still feel really positive because the Red Sox would have to absolutely tank, and the Yankees and Blue Jays would have to play above themselves for an extended period of time for things to get interesting for us to be really worried about the Red Sox season." Neither of us thought that was going to be the case. Literally one week later, no, you don't expect a two hundred winning percentage uh, for. For, for 10 straight games, and, you know, this is just, uh, it's gotten really bad. And the thing that sucks about it, too, is it's been it's been losing in all sorts of different ways. Uh, it's been, yeah. you know, the Detroit series was just simply not showing up and playing baseball effectively, and Cora expressed his frustration with that by, uh, I think it was the third game where he was just basically like, yeah, that effort was terrible. Um, and then in the Blue Jays series, it, it felt like they just found new and more painful ways to lose every single day. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that is maybe most frustrating because not only is it new in different ways and it's not like something that you can pinpoint that like they focus on this, they're back to winning. Well, it's a bunch of things. And it also is miraculously stupid base running mistakes late mm. in games getting out to third base. The, like, the literal most basic fundamentals of the game, they've just forgotten how to execute. Yeah. And it's just, it's not only is it frustrating because they're losing games that they probably should win, but it's also just difficult to watch it happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Will Fleming uh, on the radio um, loves to talk about how base running is at sort of an all time low across baseball. Just in that same game you were talking about where the Red Sox had all those base running errors. The Jays had two back-to-back base running errors in the same game that bailed the Red Sox out of a, a very sticky situation. Uh, and that's been sort of the most frustrating thing about watching the Red Sox over this, you know, 3-10 and 10 streak that they've been on, a losing streak, um, ha- has been that it seems like every time something goes right for them and they get bailed out, they do the they they just like run into a mistake right away or they get you know bases loaded uh zero outs or one out or something like that and just squander the situation it's it's just like every time they are on the cusp of something good happening something horrible happens yeah that's 
that pretty much sums it up really well. And, uh, I mean, that was no more evident than this series against Toronto. I mean, blowing Nick Pavetta's start. Granted, it was a seven-inning game, which makes it a little more difficult. That, see, that's the frustrating part, too, because Nick Pavetta got pulled after six innings in a seven-inning game. Makes sense. Sure. You, you know, toss it over to your, your high-level relievers. Matt Barnes throws one pitch and is out. At the time he's pulled, though, after that sixth inning, he's only thrown 74 pitches. Yeah. He's got another two innings in him. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, like... it's just so difficult to watch, like, that be the just the reality of the Red Sox. Like, yeah, but if out that of their works, control... we don't... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, it's was, it was just putting a bow on it. Just stuff like that that's out of their control that they can't really... You know, and then, I mean, it's also the stuff that's in their control, too, like blowing a, what was it, eight to two lead or seven to two lead or whatever it was in the last game of the series. Yep. A lead that could have easily been like four runs higher for the Red Sox with, you know, what they did with runners in scoring position yet again um, and how hard they were tattooing the ball during that game. So, yeah, or I guess it was four to nothing and then they, they added a couple there at the end but yeah so point being they had a four or nothing lead bases loaded and no outs scored none and um then gave up a six run inning the next inning yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's really painful to watch and you know that that pavetta thing it just it might be more endemic of baseball right now that um you know when a pitcher is throwing well it still feels like the right idea and the right move to go to your your ace closer, your all star closer, uh, in that situation. Like I didn't have a problem with the process of of Cora making that decision because I think more often than not, it's probably going to be the right one. That Matt Barnes for one inning is going to be better than uh, Nick Pavetta at the end of six innings, you know. Um, but just the way that they're going right now, of course it was going to backfire. Yeah. So, not great. Um, We're going to get into uh, a little bit more details here uh, about what exactly has has happened here. But, you know, last time we were on, um, we were talking about the trade deadline. Um, I think it was last time. Wasn't that last time? I think it was. Uh, Yeah, like a trade trade deadline review. Yeah, we had two two trade deadline shows. They're kind of bl- blending together in my head. We had the short one and then the longer one where we kind of assessed what the, the division looked like. And we both gave them C pluses for their trade deadline acquisitions. I am here to regrade. Um, I think that that trade deadline was an F at this point. Um Here's why I think so. Since arriving, Hansel Robles has uh, been kind of a crazy person and has an ERA of 13.5 over 3.1 innings. Uh, He's just been bad. I don't know what it was that Heimblum saw in him or was trying to, you know, capture, Um, but that hasn't been good. Uh, Austin Davis has been fine. He's got a 4.15 ERA over four and a third innings, but he's not really a huge difference maker. And then Schwarber has not played. Okay, we didn't expect him to play by this point, but... You know, when the when the team is literally in a free fall and your star acquisition is still recovering and per Jen McCaffrey suffered a setback in his recovery, like this is 
telltale why every year at the trade deadline you don't see people trade for injured players because timelines can be fuzzy. This just, it it sucks. All of it sucks. It just did not work. Any of it, none of it worked. Austin Davis was the best move. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> That's not great. I think the only thing that saves the Schwarber thing slightly for me is that he has an option for next year. So it could be more than just a rental for a couple months. Um, I believe it's a, yeah, it's a mutual option. So um, he would have to, you know, enjoy his time at, uh, you know, Boston medical center there or wherever he's getting his treated enough to want to come back for another year. But I think the Red Sox would gladly have him at $11 million. That's a very nice price for his skill set. But that's hoping that he stays, um, and he has to stay for that to really kind of uh, feel like it wasn't an absolute waste. If he leaves after like only playing <laughs> maybe a couple weeks, yeah, uh, yeah, then it looks way worse. Well, right, that's the worst case scenario, right? Is that the Red Sox continue to slide to the point where they are out of a playoff position? And by the time he gets back, he doesn't make a big enough difference for them to make that ground up. Um, then you've essentially given up Aldo Ramirez for essentially nothing um, because the likelihood of Schwarber after the season that he's had opting into an $11.5 million option is pretty damn low at this point. I mean, something would have to go pretty awry for him. I think that even if his season ended today, someone would pay him more than one year, 11 and a half million bucks. Yeah, that's probably fair. So it doesn't look good. Um, so Hein Bloom is definitely on a lot of people's hot seat to make matters worse. Uh, the guy we wanted, Anthony Rizzo has a 163 WRC plus, uh, and three home runs with the surging New York Yankees. How does that make you feel Keaton? Well, he did just, um, go into the COVID protocol, I believe. Yes, he's, he's still doing additional research as to whether or not the COVID vaccine is right for him. Um, they, they've had like three rounds of these COVID scares, haven't they? The Yankees, it's not, not too well over there. Um, yeah, and ironically, I think they're one of the teams that's over 85% as well. So that's kind of weird. True, yeah. I don't see. I don't. I'm not as hung up on like Rizzo specifically. Um, I don't know if I would have felt a whole lot better. I mean, I think Schwarber's going to be fine at first base. My issue was, um, and I know you were you were a bit more optimistic when we initially talked about this, but when the Red Sox acquired Schwarber, he had no timeline for return. Right. So. I know that this is an aggravation of a different muscle area, but yeah, it's the groin now. The one, the injury that he had with the hamstring um, had no timetable for return, and um, uh, shoot, I forgot the name of the man that does the uh, the injury analysis over at Baseball Prospectus, but he had a fantastic article um, about hamstring pulls and hamstring injuries this season, and how. Um, because you know, coming off of the shortened season last year, that there was a massive rise in specifically hamstring in- injuries and a massive rise in hamstring injuries that required a sixty-day disabled list uh, stint. And when mm. he initially went down, immediately um, 
the reports from Washington Nationals were that it was not going to be a quick stay on uh, on the IL. So acquiring him, knowing that, and knowing just that those injuries are taking longer to recover from and the shrinking amount of time left in the season every day um, that he's not playing doesn't seem like a wise investment unless they really thought that they could get him for more than a year. But And you just outlined exactly why he's probably not going to stay. <laughs> because um, having 25 home runs by the All-Star break uh, is probably worth more than $11 million. So that's probably not going to be great. But that's just kind of like – I feel like the Red Sox either had to have known that this could have been the case and felt it was worth the risk um, or they really just were on a whim with this, which – really doesn't seem like the kind of move that they would make. Yeah. Especially I mean, because at the time of the trade deadline, they were in first. Right. And, and the, the thing is here that you're expecting Schwarber to come in and either learn first base, which is going to require him to stretch uh, and potentially aggravate that area or play left field. Um, I guess the only thing that I could see them doing here is maybe playing Schwarber at DH until – that thing is rock solid, but that then means you have to play J.D. Martinez in left field pretty much every game and sit somebody like Jaron Duran. That doesn't seem great either. No, it doesn't. So, I mean, the fit was just, it was always a little suspect, but you just outlined lots of reasons why you don't trade for somebody who is currently injured, especially when your team needs that immediate influx. I mean, to the team, they just had two scrub-a-dub relievers come in uh, in the middle of their huge slump right now. And that doesn't exactly uh, inspire confidence. So, uh, man, it is, uh, it is it's tough. I told, I told the listeners we were going to uh, pick them up, so hopefully <laughs> that'll happen later in the show. Um, Duran and JD, a little bit more news. Um, we're both experiencing COVID-like symptoms, missed a few games, got tested. Both of those guys are clear. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, bad news, um, my, my, uh, I guess, uh, crush in the rotation for way too long. Uh, and Keaton, you were right for telling me he was bad all along. Martin Perez uh, in Perez Day was demoted to the bullpen, so... Uh, Perez Day is no longer a thing, unfortunately. I do like the guy uh, and his personality, um, but man, he has just not been good. We're going to outline some of those numbers a little bit later in the show, but was that the right move to demote Martin Perez before demoting Garrett Richards? I mean, they're both bad. I don't don't think the sequence of events really mattered. Um, They're both out of the rotation once Chris Sale is back, which we, we had a date. Uh, or at least a target um, for sale. So whichever one got yanked first, the, the other one's not going to be far behind. So I, I don't think I'm I'm really hung up on um, you know who got yanked first. I'm more concerned with – well, I think you actually outlined it. It probably makes sense, right? Because you, you outlined the last time we, we talked a week ago that Perez's bullpen makes a lot more sense um, than Richard's because he just doesn't seem like he would – take to it and it would be right. just like a straight dfa they can still get use of perez out of the bullpen which they um they did in the toronto series so that probably does make more sense and then when chris Hale comes back then um you know garrett basically had his last ditch effort to remain in the rotation and um five innings and three runs and three strikeouts isn't going to do it 
Yeah, probably not. Probably didn't save his job. I, I, I'm still interested to see whether or not they try and shoehorn him into the the bullpen. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. Um, a little bit of other news. Uh, as we noted before, Chris Sale is making his season debut on August 14th against the Orioles. Uh, this last time out, he threw, I believe it was 89 pitches. Uh, it looked really good. Um, he looks like he is going to be pretty much old Chris Sale when he comes back. I, I'm not sure he's going to be like 2017 vintage Chris Sale, but he's easily going to walk in here and be the best starter, right? I want to say yes. I feel like yes, just because of his attitude. But I think I still think it's a lot to put on him um, with those expectations. But then again, the Red Sox are kind of in a position where they need to kind of have him be that. Not only right. just um, kind of expect it to happen, but they really need him to be that kind of guy. Um, but yeah, um, I think this is probably a better chance than not that he is i mean he's he's going i mean however he ends up being he had he's there's no way he's uh less consistent than what they've gotten from all of their starters so he will definitely be the most consistent whatever <laughs> the results are going to be and there's a better chance um that it's really good than really bad but it's just i i want to believe it but i don't know if i will until i see it just because it's it's a lot to ask of a dude coming off tommy john to just immediately be the best pitcher in a rotation and carry them to the playoffs. But if there's a guy that can do it, it's Sale. Yeah, I agree. That's what he expects of himself. Um, so, right. you know, I, I expect that he will uh, give everything he has in order to be that missing piece uh, for this team. Um, a little bit of other bullpen news here. Hirokazu Sawamura was pulled from his appearance uh, in the last game against Toronto uh, with – uh, an injury, Keaton. What was that injury that he was pulled for? Yeah, um, it says precautionary reasons for right elbow tightness, which um, isn't great news most of the time. No, that doesn't sound good. Um, in in particular, because he was dealing with some triceps issues uh, earlier in the season, and uh, you know, talking to um, physical therapist Nick Savale, Aaron Savale's brother. Um, on our podcast, the five tool podcast, um, you know, those things can oftentimes, uh, be connected to Tommy John troubles. So if that ends up being a UCL thing, that would be a huge blow, uh, to this bullpen because Salomore has been one of those guys we've talked about all year as being sort of in that group of top five, um, bullpen arms. So, uh, hopefully, uh, he avoids anything serious there. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's um, kind of like it. the triceps issue coupled with now this other elbow piece. Um, that's what kind of gives me a lot of hesitation about it and igno- like basically expecting the worst news. Uh, like re-aggravating the same spot, sure, I get it. But re-aggravating another spot that is often tied to Tommy John, it doesn't seem like it's going to be great news. Yeah, it just seems like he's overcompensating. So um, if he yeah, does exactly. get a uh, MRI on that area, I'll be very curious as to what the results are. But we're we're crossing our fingers for Salamora. At this point, I'd be okay with even just shutting him down for the rest of the regular season and trying to get this thing 
as right as possible for a potential playoff run. And if not that, I mean, get them ready for next year. Um, you, you want to take care of those things. And, and the Red Sox, I feel like, have been pretty good about uh, shutting guys down before these injuries do uh, get to that point. You know, they were they were successful doing <laughs> that with... Sale notwithstanding. <laughs> not with Sale, but this year we have to give them credit for how they handled Hauk and Seabold. They, uh, True. They, they were very conservative with those guys, and, and both of them are now healthy and throwing well. So Yes. We'll see. We'll see how that works. Um, another bit of news, Garrett Richards uh, apparently has nine lives. He is lined up to start again for some reason on August 13th. Um, I might just be busy that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean... If it makes you feel better, the fact that Sale is back to back with him, uh, although it would have been better if it was the other way around, so that you could have the extra day of rest going yeah. into uh, Richards' next start. Uh, but the fact that they're tied together, unless there's an off day, well, there's an off day on Monday uh, or today, right now as we're recording this. I don't know if there's another one next week, but maybe there is. There's an off day before that next start, and so they're just kind of getting one more out of him. Yeah. I forgot to say that, you know, we could celebrate the fact that the Red Sox can't lose as we're recording this podcast. So that's something. Yeah, that is very true. Small victories. I've come to really hate Garrett Richards' face uh, and, yes. and the faces that he makes in on the mound, in the dugout. It's really, it's, it's, getting, it's getting to me, man. Oh, you know what? So there is an off day on ne- next Monday, but there's a doubleheader with the Yankees. Mm. So he's probably got two more starts left in him. Great. Great news. Great news, everyone. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, an- another bit of news that uh, I wanted to share. So I oftentimes will, will split listening to the games uh, in the car and, you know, on, on my TV. And uh, the radio guys do a great job. But Will Fleming said a, a phrase that was really disturbing uh, to me for the state of the bullpen uh, and, you know, I, I don't know the exact quoting of it, but the, the gist of it was that the Red Sox really need Ryan Brazier to come back. Um, and I was just thinking to myself, like, Keaton and I were just talking about how this bullpen looks really good. But then Robles comes in as a turd. Austin Davis doesn't make any difference. Um, Ottavino and Barnes, as we're going to talk about, have been garbage over the last, you know, few weeks um a a few guys even longer than that um this bullpen is overworked and isn't the bullpen that we are expecting and needing at this point and and for will fleming to say that about brazier and he wasn't wrong it's just like holy shit have we gotten to the point in the season where we're relying on ryan brazier to bail us out yeah it doesn't feel great but you're right they probably are at that point right because uh, that was one of the reasons why I said that I was uh, okay with uh, Robles coming back because he had that high leverage experience and could spare Barnes from being overworked exactly where we are right now. Unfortunately, yep. Robles has been deterred and unable to do that, which makes things a lot more difficult, which means Matt Barnes is going to get even more work and he needs some help. And it's not going to make things better if Sarmour is out for an extended period of time um, to, to stop with the overworkedness. As you know, you're making a run towards a division, so they really needed the guys that they acquired to step up. Um, 
and, and Robles just has not lived up to it yet at all. It is just really hard to believe that that was Bloom's plan. Like, you know what? Yeah, we'll fix this. Robles and Davis, come on down. And this is the frustrating part because I was I don't know exactly when I was going to fit this in, but I wanted to talk about it because I didn't talk about it specifically on the last podcast. There's two better options, and one of the actually, you know what? I do know when we can fit it in uh, in a listener question, so we'll just tease that for the end. Okay, all right. We'll we'll circle back around. We'll make sure you get to make that point because I'm already interested. Your tease worked on me. Oh, I got my tabs open. I'm not going to forget. Okay, good, good, good. Um, all right, so I wanted to go through some observations from this 13-game uh, stretch of just awful play. Um, and I want to start off with some observations, statistical observations on the offensive side uh, during this time period. So um, first observation is that Red Sox can't drive in runs with runners in scoring position. They leave so many men on base. This has been happening game after game after game. Want to make it uh, worse for you? Yes. So I was looking at this because I was curious. Because anecdotally, you're right. Yeah. It's absolutely true. They cannot drive and run. So I was curious if the numbers backed it up. And boy, did they surprise me. So the Red Sox batting average just overall tied for third in the major leagues. That part okay. not surprising. Yep. With runners on, they are third in the major leagues. Okay. batting average. Runners in scoring position. They are 15th. Oof. How do you go from with runners on first being third to 15th 90 feet later? Yeah, that's not good. I just don't understand that. That's such a large drop for 90 feet. Yeah, it is. And and it's not – the thing that's so frustrating about this too, Keaton, is that it's not just like uh, Bobby Dahlbeck swinging at air uh, up there. It's all of the guys on this team not delivering uh, with runners in scoring position, aside from maybe like Devers and Verdugo and, you know, a few key players there. Kevin Pulecki, obviously, an absolute all-star. But, you know, J.D. Martinez, how many times have we seen him swing at air with runners in scoring position? Far too many. Yeah, Not the guy you would expect either. No, no, definitely not. So... The numbers here, um, since July 28th, the only Red Sox players, and that's when this streak of badness started, uh, with a WRC plus over 100 are Alex Verdugo, Kika Hernandez, Rafael Devers, and Kevin, the all-star Plawecki, as I'm going to just start calling him. <laughs> I'm going to will it into existence. Uh, and if we want to go out even further than that, so you know that's been about two weeks, if we go out 30 days, um, that list shrinks to include... To not include Verdugo, he doesn't make the cut 30 days. Uh, and, but it does include Christian Arroyo, but he only played five games uh, during that time because of the uh, injury that he's on the IL with. So really, if you're looking back 30 days, I mean, it's it's a part-time catcher, Kike Endeavors, being above-average offensive performers. You cannot score runs when just Kike Endeavors and Plawecki every, like, four days is carrying the offense. That's just not going to work. No. And this is where it has, like, the real 2020 feel to it. So uh, every single episode of the precap, Shelly and I take a look how the Red Sox offense did, how many runners they left on base. 
And far too often, it's they lose a game by one or two runs, stranding greater than 20 runners on base. And that was basically what it was the entirety of 2020. We would get on the podcast, talk about how awful the the starting pitcher was for that day and how they made it an inning and a third, giving up 10. And then the bats, uh, they would lose a one-run game and they'd strand 25 runners. And the last game against Toronto is a great example of that. They put up... Eight runs, 16 hits, out-hit Toronto by six, and strand 21 runners on base. That's not going to do it, especially this offense. This offense is way too good for that. Yeah, it's not going to do it. And and especially, you know, looking at the numbers here and and digging into the individuals a little bit here, um, you know, Xander Bogarts over the last 30 days is batting 230 with an 88 WRC plus and just three home runs. Uh, Bogarts is clearly dealing with a wrist injury. And this is a repeat of the season where he broke a finger and continued to play through it. I desperately want him to just go on the IL and get right. At this point, he could have taken a three-week or more IL stint. And you telling me uh, Jonathan Areus couldn't come up and, like, be an approximation of the 88 WRC plus that Xander Bogarts has, has put up over that time period. Um, it just, it's, it's not great. Um, actually has a higher batting average, uh, than him during that time period. Um, Hunter Renfro gone cold again, 87 WRC plus over that time period still has five home runs. So we'll take that Christian Vasquez. We're getting nothing from, uh, Vasquez is quietly having one of his worst seasons, in a long time after starting off the year hot. Cordero delivering nothing to us yet again. Uh, We thought that maybe he had turned a leaf there, but he's got a 36% K percentage um, and just a 63 WRC+. Jaron Duran and Bobby Dahlbeck. WRC plus of 48 for Duran, a sub-200 batting average for him. And Dahlbeck, 203 with a 46 WRC plus. Oh boy. Um, Jaron Duran and Bobby Dalvec, two guys that we unfortunately are relying on uh, to be contributors to this club. And Duran was who we were looking for to be the spark plug. He's striking out 39% of the time and walking just 3.4%. That ain't it, man. It's not, but I'm not going to put a lot of that on him. Um, I mean, we saw him have an adjustment period in AAA where he was striking out 30% of the time, and then he figured it out and had an incredibly great run of like 45 days where he cut that like 8%. He just needs he needs the at-bats and he needs the time to figure it out. I understand, however, in the middle of a playoff push where you're fighting th- for three teams now f- to win the division, isn't a great time to get that experience. <laughs> But yep. he needs to get those at-bats at the major league level somehow. Like, you can't send him back to AAA because he's just going to murder it again. Right. So he needs to get the at-bats, and I think you just got to push through it. I'm okay with that, okay? I'm okay with the idea of let's just let Jaron Duran go out there and figure it out. What I'm not okay with is letting Franchi Cordero and Bobby Dahlbeck continue to get time. Yeah, that's fair. We've seen enough. Like... When are we throwing in the towel here? An, an empty 261 <laughs> well, batting average over that time period from Cordero and a empty 203 batting average from Bobby Dahlbeck. What are we doing here? Well, I think the um, the plan 
was throwing the towel uh, when Schwarber was healthy. Unfortunately, that may not happen. So <laughs> you kind of screwed yourself. So here's my question to you. Do we now turn to Jairo Munoz, who is... We know what he is. He's a contact hitter. Uh, is he going to walk? No. Is he going to hit for a ton of power? No. But is he going to strike out 40% of the time? No. Uh, and he's got a 20-plus game hit streak right now uh, in the minor leagues. Isn't it time to get him up here instead of one of those two clowns? I'm fine with that. And particularly if you're batting, if you're batting him ninth, um, all he needs to do is just get on base ahead of Kike and Devers and Martinez and all those guys. And it'll be extremely more effective. He doesn't have to show up and then just like, you know, I mean, he's not going to hit homers, but if you're realistic about your expectations, whatever he's going to do is going to be better than those guys. As long as he's on base ahead of, um, you know, just getting him on base and then turning over the lineup, um, that can only mean good things for the lineup. And that may be exactly what they need. Man, did you ever think you'd miss Christian Arroyo this much? No. Not even a little. Yeah. He's become such an important part of this offense. He's like one of the few guys that can actually, you know, come in and make contact in key situations. Him being out has just been really painful for this team. So that's the offensive side of things. Let's look at the pitching side of things. Uh, During this 13-game stretch, it has been just as bad, if not worse. In over 30 days, it doesn't look much better. Since July 28th, only Nick Pavetta and Tanner Houck have starter ERAs under 5. Richards' ERA during that point sits at 6.92. Erod's is at 6.48. Eovaldi's is at a healthy 10.8. And Perez takes the cake with a 14.21. Is that worse than you thought? Or is that about it from what you've seen? I mean, that's like just what I I thought, like given the last 30 days or... Like what Just I during this thirteen get. game stretch, did you is that worse or better than you expected? Just like without knowing the numbers. Uh yeah, that feels about right. It's yeah. been that frustrating. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, when when Richards is the second best of, of that foursome uh during that time period, you know some stuff has gone on. Actually, you know what, I take it back. Pavetta's is worse than I thought. Basically because of that last start, I thought that his numbers would look a lot better. I thought that would carry more weight. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that it didn't shows how bad it was. Yeah, that is that is very true. Um, during this 13-game stretch, the pen has been horrible too. Uh, in particular, Matt Barnes and Adam Ottavino, two guys who have been extremely overworked to this point in the season, uh, both on pace for you know close to career-high innings totals. Matt Barnes has an 8.10 ERA. We saw him give up the game the other day. Uh, We've seen him do it a couple times, actually. Adam Ottavino uh, also gave up the game. Uh, 7.71 ERA during that time. And even Captain Phillips, Phillips Valdez, has come back to earth, has a 6.23 ERA uh, over those 13 games. We expanded a little bit more, Keaton. Uh, things don't get all that much better over the last 30 days. Just how can Erod have an ERA under five? Houck's only made three starts during that time period, so it's not exactly like he's been, you know, throwing a full starter's workload. Um, and, you know, the numbers aren't great for the other guys either. Pavetta is 5.19, Richard 6.75, Perez 8.55, and Eovaldi 5.96. Uh, Eovaldi can't have a 5.96 
uh, in this group. I mean, that that's just because you know you're going to get that from from Richards and Perez. But when Eovaldi and Pavetta also have ERAs north of five, it's it's basically impossible. Yeah, and this is where my frustration with the trade deadline comes from because uh, there was all the emphasis on first base. And I have no idea. Well, I mean, I understand first base has been frustrating. The offense is still really good around it. My frustration was they knew the starting pitching was bad going into the trade deadline, did nothing to address it, and it's still bad. That's why that was my number one. Like, the the lack of doing anything for that, it, it just baffles me, seeing how bad that was coming into the deadline, and it hasn't gotten any better. Yeah. And the Evaldi thing is extremely concerning because – He's cruising first two times through the order. Absolutely cruising. And then he's getting absolutely murdered the third time through. Right. And especially with the way that this bullpen is being overworked, um, you know, you, you can't really always afford to take him out at that no. point. In, and it feels wrong to when he is cruising. and Because when Eovaldi cruises, he looks amazing because he doesn't walk anybody. He strikes a lot of guys out, and he induces a ton of weak contact. Like, when his blow-ups happen, there's absolutely zero warning signs. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Like, this mess of the third time through the order is new for him. Like, it, like you, you pointed out, when he's cruising, he can easily get through eight, maybe even a complete game. Now he's getting the third time through, and it's, it's like he's hitting a brick wall. Just immediately they figure him out. And they murder him for it. And you can't get to the point where, like, well, third time through the order, and it's, you know, it's the fourth inning. Got to take him out because the bullpen can't handle that. It's not built for that. You need him to get through six innings. And um, really, it's like the last month where he's just run into a wall and been un- unable to do that. Like, the other starts, in the, like, when he was struggling in the beginning of the season, it was right out of the gate. You tell he didn't have it. He's walking guys. He's way too hittable in the strike zone. He's not pitching around the corners where he's most effective. But now he's doing that. He's pitching around the corners. He's not getting hit. And then all of a sudden they figured it out and immediately just start to wreck him. And that's a problem for, again, a team that's trying to win a division and now fighting with three teams to do so. Uh, You need to be able to rely on your horses and uh, Erod and Evaldi are those guys, and you just can't right now, right? I mean, maybe Erod a little bit, but they also need to get Hauk stretched out. Because yeah. uh, he is cruising through three innings. But that's as far as he's getting. <laughs> well, there's a couple things there that I want to unpack a little bit. And I think you're really on to something with Eovaldi. Um, because it does look like he's physically hitting a wall. Um, and I just pulled up the numbers while you were talking. And Eovaldi right now is at 126 innings pitched on the season. He hadn't pitched over 126 innings on the season since 2015 with the New York Yankees where he threw 154. Now he probably went slightly over that or close to over that in 2018 where he threw 111 in the regular season and then had all those playoff innings. But we're talking about a workload that he hasn't had in like six years or five years. Um, And coming off of a shortened season the year prior. Yeah. I, I mean, why are we surprised? Shouldn't I mean maybe the Red Sox should be thinking about Phantom IL stints for Eovaldi and Erod for a couple weeks, you know, pull pull a Seabold up for you know a few starts. They got to do something to manage 
these guys' workload because Eovaldi, if he's this fatigued, is not going to be any good to you down the stretch. No. And I pointed this out before, too. Um, what is it? The, the radio hit up there in Bangor talked about it on that a couple weeks ago that we were entering a territory with every single one of the starters where they were about to pitch more innings than they had in years, and it was coming off of a shortened season. The fact that they've been able to avoid injury is a miracle. Yeah. But it almost makes you think, shoot, maybe it would have been nice to have Ivaldi on the shelf for three weeks so he could be three weeks healthier at this point in the season. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe they need to do that. Or maybe they um, – I know this is a listener question, so we can get into it more when we get to that point. But maybe they move to a six-man rotation and unfortunately keep Richards in the rotation just to try and eat innings, even though you know it's probably – they just do the old Wakefield thing, right? Yeah. Where they give seven of the uh, everyday bats a rest on his day and you just kind of go in for it hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, roll the dice. Throw it all on red for, for those starts. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, something needs to be done because this this is clearly an issue and it, it it's not super surprising because Eovaldi had never been a big innings guy uh, before this, as I've pointed out. It's not like he threw 200 innings recently like Erod did. Erod missed all of last year as well because of the, the issue with the myocarditis. Um, there's really nobody in this rotation who is used to a huge workload at this point. Uh, yeah, Evaldi had built up to 200 innings in 2019, but then he had he followed that up with an entire year of zero baseball activity. <laughs> so it's tough oh, to think Erod, that he's just. Yeah. Uh, what did I say, Evaldi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I meant Erod. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he followed that up with an entire year of zero baseball activity. To expect him to be able to ramp back up to something close to that was a little extreme. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what? We're seeing some guys look fine with this, like. Uh, the guy who Toronto just acquired, Berrios. Like, Berrios is used to throwing a lot of innings. So, yeah, last year was weird. But guys who are used to throwing a lot of innings like that, I think, are better able to manage what happened in this year. And a lot of those guys didn't stop throwing when spring training stopped and started. That's the other thing. Like, art, innings totals look artificially low for a lot of those guys. But the innings totals from last year were not artificially low for Erod. Dude was sitting at home. Like, right. you know, there's there's just a lot of stuff going on here that just isn't so great. And then, you know, you talked about the bullpen, Keaton, um, needing to be relied on, especially when guys are faltering second and third times through the order. Sawamura, uh, Josh Taylor, and Adam Adovino all have ERAs north of five over the last 30 days. You can't tell me that's not fatigue-related, too. It's got to be, yeah. And that's – and the <laughs> – it kind of adds to, to more of the frustration because you knew that you were entering this territory with all of your pitchers and you did nothing at the trade deadline to not only address an upgrade, but depth. And that's not like you haven't had, like, thankfully they have Tanner Houck. They have, they could possibly turn to Connor Siebold at some point, but um, Siebold was dealing with injuries most of the year. So was Tanner Houck. So the depth that they thought they were coming into the season has been kind of sporadic, but now they're kind of getting it back. But again, always have more of it and if you legitimately believe in this team why wouldn't you have addressed that at the trade deadline it just blows my mind because it's like it wasn't a secret it was all out there we could all see it and then just yeah. went ignored just ignored it and i just don't know why i think we we realize you know this team was on pace for a hundred game or a hundred wins not too long ago and uh, yeah <laughs> we, we all we all kind of figured we were playing with house money and i think we all kind of got sucked into the fact that 
all these guys had thrown, you know, five inning starts almost more than any other team in the league. And we're just like, yeah, the pitching's fine. But we didn't really, like, start to dig into, ooh, Evaldi hasn't thrown this much. Erod hasn't thrown this much. Uh, when's the last time Pavetta was this good? You know, like all these other things around it. And then you talk about Hauk too, which I, I think, I mean, my next note right here is Hauk needs to be in the rotation along with Sale. Yes, I agree. The numbers back that up. But as our, our friend over at Sox Prospects, Ian Kundal has pointed out, dude gets through the, the, uh, the lineup twice, uh, or first time, I should say. And then the second time through the lineup, he struggles. So, you might only be able to rely on three or four good innings from Tanner Houck um, before he needs to get taken out of the game. Gr- granted, that's a better problem than relying on three or four bad innings from Richards or Perez when you're already out of the game. So it, it's still a, a, an ad, but Houck might not be you know, this, this sale-like solution when he comes in, into the rotation. No, it is better than what you're getting out of Perez. Unfortunately, it's like the same length of start. Right. <laughs> and you need you need more innings, not necessarily uh, just a better, shorter stint. <laughs> because the bullpen's already overworked. It's not built to have a bullpen day where you're like feeding off of how like they um, in the I actually don't even think it was it was a Richard start, right? That they paired uh, Whitlock after Richards. Yeah. So they're not even pairing those two guys up together to try and get through like six innings, which is if you're if you're only going to rely on Hauk for three plus, I think you have to stick Whitlock with him, those two together to get to six or seven. One of the things that you could do now that Perez is in the bullpen, too, is because Hauk and Perez are such different looks. Maybe, you know, Hauk can give you three or four clean innings and then Perez can come in and face the lineup one time through. And maybe that's okay for Perez, uh, especially because the stuff is so different. That's another possible solution. Yeah. But we'll Could we'll be. have to see how it plays. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we're both in agreement, Keaton, that, you know, Hauk needs to be part of this, this rotation sooner rather than later. Yes, sir. All right. And another thing that I'm sure of is that Kevin Pluecki needs to play more and Bobby Dahlbeck needs to play less. Uh, I've already talked about the problems that um, Cordero and, and Dahlbeck uh, are in this you know, lineup. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to point out that over the last 30 days, uh, Kevin Pulecki has a 174 WRC+. Plus. He's batting 424 over that time period. Uh, and if we extend it out a little bit more, uh, Kevin Pulecki is batting 204. Or I should say, if we bring it in a little bit more, that was after 30 days. If we bring it in just to the last um, 13 games during this time when the Red Sox have been awful, uh, over seven games and 23 plate appearances, he's got a WRC plus over 200, and he's batting 476. He's one of the few guys in this lineup that can make consistent contact, that can carry rallies. We saw this in the game against Toronto when he had, I think it was three hits, three RBIs, Drove in a bunch of runs with men in scoring position. Kevin Pulecki needs to be part of this. We've seen Alex Cora show confidence in him. He's said that he has the shortest swing on the team. The Red Sox need more of that in the lineup. I don't care if Pulecki needs to be, you know, the DH and you got to get weird and take Duran out and put JD in the outfield. Whatever you need to do, Pulecki needs to be in there more. 
And what if you move Vasquez to first and then Pulecki catches? Sure. I mean, at, at this point, I'm I'm okay with whatever gets his bat in more more than not because you can't go without it at this point. No, I, don't, I agree. Would you like to see Pulecki and Munoz kind of being that eighth, ninth in the batting? Or would you feel better about that than, um, I guess, whatever it is now, Franchi and Dahlbach together? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, because this this lineup needs contact. Um, it, it needs some ability to string it together until you get to the the real producers in the lineup. And at this point, there's just far too much swing and miss and ending innings. Uh, just taking a seat on the bench. It's it's tough. And and both of those guys give you that contact. Yeah, I'm for it. Oh, man, this is a. Uh, it's, it's a, we know the problems. <laughs> we just got to fix them. Um, yeah. So I, I want to get to our listener questions today, Keaton, but I wanted to get to a listener online, um, Chris Reddy, who um, brought something interesting up to me. Um, and I was kind of complaining online about Heim Bloom's um, trade deadline on Twitter. And he said, uh, Heim is rebuilding an organization, and the boys are slightly ahead of schedule on the road back. It would have been easy to get caught up in that, but they aren't one pitcher or one bat away from being a true frontrunner. If anything, this slump validates the decision not to swing big. And I replied back to him, and I was like, you know what, that's really interesting. I think we'll talk about it on the podcast. I'm not sure if I agree with you. And then he said, I would have liked to be a little bit more aggressive, especially in light of some of the prices, but on the aggregate, I have zero complaints about how he's operated this season. The arrow is still pointing up, uh, and he says, okay, one complaint, they should have gotten a better read on Fabian's price before drafting him. Uh, very fair <laughs> complaint. That's fair. that's uh, that's. But I thought that uh, Chris made some really interesting points. So let's talk about the first part of that, Keaton. Um being that the Red Sox are ahead of what their timeline, no one expected them to be challenging for the division this year. Most people had them fourth in the division uh, heading into this season, third at best. Um, was Heim Bloom justified in not, you know, sort of selling out to make this year a priority? So yes and no. Uh, I both agree and disagree with uh, that listener's points, although that was a great tweet. Yeah. And a great topic to talk about. Very so, uh, and kind of tying it into your question, they are definitely ahead of schedule, but that doesn't mean that uh, you can't adjust your timeline based on results. And I think something that I've repeated like almost every show, what it seems like recently with you, uh, that you both you and I had our eyes set on this upcoming offseason as the one where the Red Sox really get themselves back on track and in the mix for you know a deep playoff run. They had a chance to do that now, though, and I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of that because if you can add those like tertiary moves to make this, the team better now and in the future, knowing that we have this a bunch of money coming off the books and a really big offseason just in Major League Baseball in general coming up, you could pair those two things together and adjust your timeline based off of the performance, how they're doing. Like, I don't think you needed to strictly stick to that timeline. And there's also that timeline is completely made up by you and I. Uh, we don't even know if that is how the, the actual Red Sox front office are viewing the team. So that's right. just you and I, our expectations of looking at the team's talent and with their financial situation and assuming 
that this is where the magic is going to happen. However, I think they were one starting pitching away, one starting pitcher away from shoring up the rotation so that they could make a deep run. And I feel like I talked about that a lot leading up to the trade deadline because of how bad it was. You knew you were getting Chris Sale back, which was a huge boost. Tanner Houck should have been used probably sooner, but if he wasn't able to stretch out enough, then I get it. He was also hurt. But those two guys getting in the rotation, Nick Pavetta, although he has been better than Perez and Richards, has been extremely inconsistent and for the most part not great. So your your threshold for getting better was finding someone who was better than uh, Nick Pavetta. And I think if you had Erod was trending in the right direction, Evaldi, who's been mostly good, for the season, although you pointed out wow, that he's got to be getting some fatigue issues here. Um, but Erod, Evaldi, it's top sale coming back healthy. Hauk in there, that one through four, that's a great one through four. You can add one more to that mix to shore up that fifth spot and actually get some innings and some use out of it. Uh, and then have Pavetta and Perez in the bullpen to spare those innings and basically kind of like stretch out. You like throw a sixth day in between starts for guys to stretch them out and save them uh, so you're not relying on, um, you know, a fatigued Evaldi and Sale putting a lot of pressure on him. I think they should have done that, and that would have made a significant difference not only in the starting rotation but in the bullpen and how that was used. And that would have made me feel a lot better about where they would be now. Even if they had continued to struggle, I would still be more confident in the situation because they would have the the tools to be successful in the postseason and spare their guys as they're heading towards it. The thing, so it's kind of coupled with, you know, we saw the same thing happen in April, right? Where the Red Sox were struggling and everything was going wrong. Mm-hmm. They couldn't score runs. The pitching was atrocious and they just kind of had to work through it. We're seeing the exact same thing now. And it would have been just as big a deal as it was in April if the trade deadline wasn't happening around it. And you didn't see, like we outlined all of the moves that Toronto made. They made a ton. The Yankees made some big moves. Red Sox didn't. And now here we are 10 games later seeing completely opposite results. So not, it's not only magnified because the offense and pitching are struggling at the same time, like they were in April and it was really frustrating, but you throw in the trade deadline in action yeah. while the teams around you were all very active and it just kind of accumulates even more frustration. So I think it's – I while I agree that – they are ahead of schedule. I don't know why you wouldn't adjust your timeline um, based off of these results. Like the, the offense is really good, and that's something that has been good for many years, and it's the same core guys. So they go through times when they struggle. It's just frustrating when it happens all at the same time. I really thought the offense was fine. Even with that hole at first, you're still getting – great things from everybody else. You can kind of mix guys in. You can even throw Royo in there to get his at bat in there. You can play him at first. Um, although probably not the best option, but still an option. So the that was the biggest thing to me and why I was so frustrated that they didn't go get a starting pitcher because I think it would have helped not only the rotation, but it would have helped the bullpen as well. So I thought that they were that one guy away. Um, but I also understand that um, this is still the rebuild and they're just kind of ahead of schedule. I wouldn't have mind adjusting that timeline because we, like, we were talking about uh, the offseason of 2022 and like going forward from there, we're just talking about two months earlier than that. That's not that far off. Like, it's not like they're putting, like, they just pulled guys off the scrap heap. They have, like, half the roster on one-year deals, and it happens to be working ahead yeah. of schedule. It's like they have their core in place, and they're ahead of schedule by two months. And we're so, not advocating for them to trade Casas or Duran or, you know, Downs for anybody that's not 
you know, Max Scherzer here. It's not like that's what we were advocating for, but maybe right. dip into that top 20 a little bit and, and get somebody uh, who means a little bit more. I think you make some really valid points. And in particular, I do agree with you that they are, and I, Chris, I agree with Chris too, that they are ahead of schedule. Yeah. Um, I also think that the one thing that I have trouble with is that they aren't one pitcher or one bat away from being a true front runner. I think that the data backs up Chris there. Like we just looked at the last 30 days over the last 30 days, they are not one bat or one pitcher away from, you know, being statistically speaking anyways, um, one of the best teams in all of baseball. They just aren't. I mean, there's, there's more work to be done. There's more holes there than just one or two things but I think that psychologically, and this is the part of baseball that I think that stat nerds, and I am guilty of this a lot of the time because I love, I mean, I, I love fan graphs. I'm on there all the time. Um, and you hear me cited on here all the time. But I think that we forget the human part of this game. If we think about the Kendall Graveman situation uh, with the Mariners, when Kendall Graveman got traded to the Astros, they were trailing the Astros in the division, but they were over 500, and they were pissed. They were really, really angry. Um, and if you think about, you know, what that says to a team um, when you're trading away a guy like that, uh, thankfully the Red Sox didn't sell. It says I don't believe in you. But also when you're the team that's getting the Graveman, you know, we're getting a reliever with an ERA under one. Like that says to that team. Oh man, they really believe that we're the real deal this year. We can do it. And like psychologically, that's a massive lift. So instead of the Red Sox getting in Hansel freaking Robles and, you know, Austin Davis, no offense to those guys, kind of offense to Robles though, because um, he seems like <laughs> kind of a maniac. Um, you know, it, it, what if they had gone out and paid up to get Graveman? You can't tell me that that would have cost an exorbitant amount it certainly didn't cost an exorbitant amount for for the astros okay graveman coming into this bullpen situation takes a whole lot more pressure off of this bullpen than you know one of those scrubs coming in here and then if you go out and get you know a a mid-tier starter or uh, i don't know anthony rizzo who can actually play immediately and fill a void for you and fit in seamlessly on your team like, you can't tell me that those things don't indicate to the players, we believe in you, we respect the effort that you've made to get here, um, and we respect those 30-plus comeback wins that you've had, and that those guys don't maybe start playing a little bit above their heads in light of the way that that makes them feel. So, you know, I think we often overlook the psychological part of trade deadline acquisitions and what being active actually means. Absolutely. And playing off of that, Xander Bogart's comments immediately after the trade deadline, that he was expecting the team to get reinforcements and they didn't do it. And they feel a little bit let down about that, but they just kind of have to go to war with the players they have. That means a ton yep. to have the leader of your team be like, yeah, we were expecting something to happen and it didn't. And now here we are. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it's, it's not it's, great. It's major disrespect. And, you know, the fact that Bogey is saying that, and he is one year away from being able to opt out of his deal, pisses me off. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, because if Bogey's saying that, the clubhouse is irate because Bogey right. does not complain. No. And 
uh, just kind of like a follow up on your point about the, being the one pitcher away. So let's let's go fast forward just ever so slightly to Saturday, Chris Sale's return with Chris Sale, Tanner Houck, and a move that I wish they had made at the trade deadline. They would have had three different pitchers in the starting rotation than they did 30 days ago when you outlined all of those bad stats. So I think one pitcher would have made a significant difference. Yeah. One out of five, plus adding two new guys internally. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, completely agree. So You also um, jumped the gun on me to uh, to get to my uh, my, little, my little rants here. Because um, I can tie it in. You talked about the low cost for Kendall Graveman. Mm-hmm. So many people, at least the ones that I interacted with on Twitter, so maybe it was my own fault, um, <laughs> could not grasp the concept that you can upgrade your team without giving up your top prospects like you don't have to target the best player at every position to upgrade your team the threshold for an upgrade to the starting rotation of this team was better than martin perez and garrett richards that does not cost a lot and everybody when i was talking about i sent out a tweet like a couple hours before the deadline and i was like red Sox in action is kind of frustrating watching all the other teams be better and then i got a ton of hate for that <laughs> from people that are like look at what the White Sox had to pay for Kimbrel." I was like okay you didn't need Kimbrel to make your bullpen better case right. in point the Astros added Yimi Garcia trading a 31 year old pitcher who was terrible and a, pit, and a prospect not in the top 50 of the system you don't yeah. have to have the best farm in, in baseball to upgrade your team the Toronto Blue Jays added Joachim Soria for two players to be named later who are sure to be outside the top 50 of their team. Right. Both of those guys would have been better upgrades. They're relievers with high leverage experience who don't walk people, which this bullpen has a massive problem with, and you wouldn't have had to break the bank to do it. And the fact that they didn't do that was incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and, and they didn't you know, they didn't even pay an arm and a leg to get Brad Hand either. No. And uh, No pun intended, sorry. The Phillies... <laughs> added uh, Ian Kennedy and Kyle Gibson for a failed prospect, but still has yeah. some promise. But like you couldn't, you could have pried Ian Kennedy from them. Just Ian Kennedy, not getting. Actually, they got um, another, they got Hans Cruz too. They got three guys for a failed prospect with the Phillies. Well, I don't, I don't want to call Spencer Howard a failed prospect yet. He's still very young, but somebody who has definitely underperformed. Yes. Expectations. Uh, so you're telling point. me you couldn't have gotten one of those guys that Ian Kennedy out of there or Kyle Gibson for what you have. Like you, it wouldn't have taken Tristan Casas to upgrade this team. And that's what no. people seem to not understand. Right. Like the threshold for getting better was incredibly low. And they didn't even meet that, which was really it, frustrating. Especially with the improved depth. I mean, if you look at the Sox prospects uh, top 60 players right now versus what it was when uh, Bloom came in here to take over the team, it is night and day uh, depth-wise. So you could have dealt from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, um, and they chose not to. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to know what exactly the market was and what the asks were and, you know, potentially maybe we're wrong and the asks were all for the top guys that we didn't want to trade, but it's highly unlikely. One other thing that really pissed me off that's just unrelated, but I just want to talk about it is somebody uh, in their reply to me told me to blame Dombrowski for the fact that Bloom wasn't making any moves. First of all, Dombrowski was years ago. Second of all, he won a World Series, so I'm not blaming him for shit. Um, 
He also had uh, draft picks taken away, and one of their top uh, prospects unfortunately died. So yeah. had those things not happened, Dombrowski would have had an even better farm system. So, But we won a World Series, so it doesn't even matter what the farm system looked like because I would never trade that for anything. So if you're telling me you would trade a World Series for having a top five farm system, you're dumb. And stop paying attention to baseball, please. <laughs> and also uh, Dombrowski uh... – you know, really did make the right choices. Keeping Devers instead of Moncada uh, was the right choice. So, um, you remember when people? I know I brought this up recently, but I want to bring it up again. You remember when people wanted him to trade Devers for Machado? Yes, I do. Yep, those were dark days. Very. Let's not go back there again. <laughs> All right, let's get to our next question here, uh, Chris. Great, great question or great. Uh, topic so we appreciate that um next question comes from bill mccandless he says why does the uh, john henry hate the red sox boy you knew how to push my buttons but i'm <laughs> i'm going to avoid it and just say um uh baseball is full of masochists and sometimes we do it to ourselves yeah, and you know what? I, I have to give some credit here to John Henry, too. Uh, the John Henry era has led to four World Series. And one of the things you cannot say about John Henry is that he doesn't spend. Uh, you can criticize him for how he's handled the last few years, uh, or let's just say three seasons. So let's just say 2018 forward. Um, but overall, I think most fan bases around baseball will be happy with four world series in the last you know 20 years or so that's pretty good faux show uh adrian raymond has our next question he says is there any advanced stat suggesting uh before the deadline that the red sox aren't that good which made bloom go in for a lukewarm push the deadline or is the farm system just not good enough to get somebody who can actually play uh first base and hit uh, above 500 ops um that's a really good question um you so know, this yep. is, this yeah, was the ahead. question that I was going to respond with my little rant about the farm system too, but then you, you yeah yeah go for it, it. Well, that's that was I mean that's it. Like it doesn't matter what shape the farm system is. They could have made moves to get better with the farm system that they have, no problem, and still even retain their top ten talent. Has chosen not to. Yeah, and I think that the also you know getting back to the farm system, it's something that I follow very closely in the Red Sox farm system is not bad um if anything the red sox farm system is mid-pack now um it is not a back-end system like it was a couple years ago bloom has done an incredible job with that and there was more than enough meat on the bone to take from that uh and and make those upgrades without touching your top you know five to seven guys uh, in the system so that was there and i thought they ought to have dipped into that a little bit uh to make those pushes to, to get to the first part, though, yeah, there were some advanced stats suggesting that the Red Sox weren't this good, in particular the pitching overperforming to this point um, and the the sheer number of holes that they had at different positions. Um, you know, there are multiple guys in this lineup uh, producing next to nothing. Duran producing next to nothing. Uh, Dahlbeck, Cordero, um, a few other guys on pretty huge cold streaks. But they were fillable gaps. Um, so yeah. I, I think that Bloom was ultimately too conservative in what he did. And I think he deserves a lot of uh, criticism for that, for sure. And I think it's kind of a mixed bag, too, because there you pointed out several times that like um, individual 
player uh, pitchers like FIP and XPIP were significantly better than the results that were happening on the field, like Erod and Pavetta. Yeah. Um, so there's there's kind of like a mixed bag. Like there's individuals who were overperforming and were probably due for a regression, but then there were also um, a handful that were due for the opposite and to kind of like if they're falling back to those expected stats and the, and the mean would actually kind of get a little bit better, which um, would have also suggested that if that was coming, then uh, you know, back it up, make a couple of moves to bolster it in case, um, you know, it, it, they continue to struggle. But in the, the more likely chance that they would get better, then you would have all the more depth. Yeah, that's a fantastic point too. I hadn't thought about that in relation to the to the deadline, but there was just as much room for optimism there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good. Um, Jan Meek Ale has our next question. He says, uh, "Which god did we anger, and what kind of sacrifice will appease him slash her?" Great question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, you let me know, like if I need to. Scribble something on Fenway Park while I'm there. <laughs> I will. I don't know. Pour a couple of, uh, of 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 bottles of red wine out for Dionysus and see if that works. <laughs> Do it. Uh, Jeff Wax has our next question. He says, "Will Hansel Robles save the day? Will Bobby Dobleck lead the league in stranded runners? Is Heim Bloom falling from his pedestal? No. Yes. Yes. I think. Ooh, I, I was gonna go no. Probably no." I you're, think I'm losing has, faith in Bloom. I'm not losing faith in Bloom, but I do seriously think that this deadline took some shine off of what he's done here. Do I have any complaints about what Bloom has done since he's got here? Absolutely not. But I do think he was too conservative and he didn't respect the effort of this particular group enough for my liking. This is the first okay. thing that I feel like I can criticize him about really since he's been here i don't give him any sort of negativity for what happened in 2020 that year sucked he had no real off season to do anything about it whatever he's built up the farm system but yes he didn't respect the effort of this squad enough so that is fair and that actually kind of leads into my last frustration about the trade deadline like bloom's whole thing is like finding the talent on the outskirts and like getting like finding those those gems of players right like Whitlock um, or um, Hunter Renfro and like bringing those guys in and getting a lot out of them and this trade deadline was the perfect chance to put those skills to use and like get those bargain players to add to the depth and like round out this roster for a playoff run um, and he did not do it. And with the moves that he made, it doesn't really seem like he tried to either, which was the more confusing part. Yeah, it's always it's it's always tough for me to assess whether or not somebody tried or not. But it seems that he is a little bit more Charrington than he is Dombrowski in terms of his decisiveness levels. And well, I mean, going back to Bogart's comments, like, like even they were expecting something and got nothing. Yeah, and that had an effect in in the the clubhouse. That part really kind of makes me feel like um, they they didn't really have a plan <laughs> going into the stray deadline. Yeah, that that part definitely hurts. I I don't like that one bit. Um, all right, let's get to our next question. Pictures of Ted Williams with fish. Uh, good name right there. <laughs> 
He is both in the Fishing Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame. Pretty cool. Uh, do you think they will have a bounce back, or should I just give up hope, uh, give up and hope they don't make me too miserable? Um, I think they do. Just like when um, you know they had these struggles in April, they were able to to get out of it. It's just it's everything that's happening around it that makes it seem worse. Like they're still in second place right now. They still have like twelve games left against the Rays, so they hold their own future in their hands right now, and they're you know they're the ones that can control it. Still a good team. I mean, this is the roster that got that was in first place at the trade deadline anyway. Like that, I don't think you can be a fluke for that long. Look at the Giants. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I I think that there's still a lot of reason for optimism here um and you know maybe the addition of chris sale and whenever schwarber does make his way back to this roster maybe that does give them the emotional lift that they need to you know push it down the stretch uh baseball season's long man that's why they call these the dog days it's uh it's tough to get up for it all the time so it's part of it uh receipts socks slash unseen sunsets says who is the best pitcher between Jonathan Arreus, Marvin Gonzalez, Kevin Pulecki, Mitch Moreland, and Brock Holt? That is a great question. It's gotta right be Moreland, there. right? All right. I mean he they kept going to him. He got many opportunities. Moreland, uh yeah, he was definitely pretty solid. Um he looked like he'd he'd been on the mound quite a few times before. I have to give a little bit of credit to Kevin Pulecki too, because his ERA over his last appearance was zero. So um, you know, the, the results don't lie with Pulecki. So I, I, I would go either Pulecki or Moreland there. Who would you go with? Moreland. Okay. Let's go with Moreland then. That's our answer. Uh, the poltergeist at Fenway Park says, why are other teams allowed to win games when it's so clear that we actually want to win those same games? Oh, uh, I don't know. The way the Red Sox are coughing up leads, I don't know if they do want to win them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um <laughs> Next one comes from Hendrick, and he says, who could the Red Sox conceivably get through waivers and sell before the month is over? Um, it would have to be someone who's not on the 40-man, right? Yeah, someone off of the 40-man. Um, that is not eminently clear to me if there would be anybody. I don't, I don't know if there is. Maybe. Aaron Sanchez. Josh Ockamy. Maybe he, team's looking for a platoon bat. Um, well, it said get, right? Not give. Oh, oh, I thought they said give. My bad. Um, oh, get. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a more impossible question. Aaron Sanchez comes to mind for me. Just DFA'd by the Giants. He's got an ERA of like 3.08. Okay. Just dealing with uh, injuries this year, but um, just recently returned could be used in the bullpen or starter actually you know what he says get through waivers and sell in this question so i think he's asking oh yeah both. i guess and sell you're right yeah so all right so i answered one you answered there. the other there you go yeah boom <laughs> teamwork uh, baby <laughs> doughy bagels has our next question he says or she says not sure uh do you think the Sox will implement a six-man rotation with sale and hoke you actually think yes to try and preserve some of the uh the energy from these guys who are over their innings thresholds from years past i right? do um, i kind of agree with you i was trying to look at the schedule and see if it made sense um with richards and sale lining up but it doesn't because um with Richards on Friday 
and Sale on Saturday, that would not line up for them to pitch the same day on the doubleheader on Tuesday. That's too close. It's too short a rest. So I don't think Richards is getting pulled from this rotation. I think he's going to be in there. I think it's going to be a six-man. I hate it a lot, but I understand. Uh, Rock Mom has our next question. She says, uh, was the first half of this season just a mirage? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think the offense is very real, underperforming right now. The back half needs to be fixed. We've outlined that. We need more contact guys in the back half of the lineup. Um, But we knew that coming into it, right? Like we talked all uh, spring training leading up to the season, how basically the bottom four were were, all or nothing. And it was going to be frustrating at times and it was going to be really fun at times. And unfortunately, it's just been more frustrating than fun. Right. It has been much less fun than we expected because (laughs) when we were talking about that, we were talking about Franchi and Bobby both approaching like 30 bombs or in the case of Bobby (laughs) surpassing 30 bombs because they have that power to run into him. We basically thought that Franchi and Bobby would have the same season as Hunter Renfro. But what we've seen is just all of the bad things from guys who don't make contact with those later two. Um, and Hunter Renfro has been the only one that's really delivered on what we wanted. Yep. So, but I, I will say if you're looking for one part of it, that is a little bit of a mirage. I think it is the starting pitching, uh, having the success that they had in the first half. Um, those, those back end guys definitely aren't as good as they pitched at the beginning of the year. Um, but the bullpen, I still feel really strongly about. I think that there, there are still the makings of a really good bullpen, um, provided they don't get overworked. And right now, I think they're being overworked. Yeah, they are. Um, Boston Sports has our final question. Uh, this is a very doomsday question. When will Bloom be fired? When will Cora finally make good managing moves from a pitching standpoint? I assume he's uh, he or she is still upset about uh, Nick Pavetta. Uh, being pulled early from that start. Uh, I don't think Bloom's on the hot seat at all. I, th- I think he's no. got years to figure this out. I don't think so, but you might be onto something with Cora and um, pitching because this is the deepest bullpen that he's had with the Red Sox. And um, we're still running into overuse issues. Yeah. So maybe you're on to something there, but I think um, part of it is also the starters, right? <laughs> I mean, if they can't get deep into games then there's not really much of a conversation we had about their usage they're going to get overused because that's who you have to turn to next so um maybe i'd say they're you know it's to keep an eye on it because you're right there is a bit of a history of their overuse with the, these guys and running into basically running out of gas when we get towards yeah. the, end of the season but i think more of it is circumstantial and uh, than his actual prowess as a manager i think we saw it a bit in 2019 so It's something to monitor. I'm not willing to make a call on it yet. Yeah, same. All right. Well, that has been our show. Uh, It was an action-packed hour and 20-minute show. So if you stayed with us the whole time, thank you very much for listening to us. We do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You know, we went a little long because, you know, when the sky is falling, there is a lot to talk about. Um, So we hope you enjoyed it. We hope it was thorough. Um, if you did enjoy it, please go on, rate us and review us. Give us a five-star review uh, and find us on Twitter too. Uh, we're always open for questions, so please uh, do hit us up with those. Keaton is at the Spoken Keats. I am at Dev Jake, uh, and the Over the Monster account is at Over the Monster. And uh, be sure to tune into the other podcasts on this network as well. 
Uh, there's the Over the Monster podcast with Matt and Brian. There's the Red Sox on Deck podcast with Shelly and Bob. And there's also the Precap podcast with your Keaton DeRocher and Shelly Restraint. So check all those out. They're great shows. And we appreciate you being with us, Keaton. Thank you. And we'll be with you again next week. 